Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Many of you remember singing that sometimes in evening vespers from the old brown Cokesbury hymnal. It's a great hymn of the faith. It was raised in the pews doing that. And those songs have nurtured my faith. Friends, the scripture for this day as we conclude our series of Connect, which is to live into understanding the mission of the Global Methodist Church, which we are a part of now, which is to worship passionately to be able to um, love extravagantly and to witness boldly. This day is about the witness. Now, I've chosen for the text for our consideration, um, the text that will make you feel like an honorary Aggie because it is Acts chapter 21, verse 37, through chapter 22, verse uh, 16, and you'll be standing for just a few moments. So if you need to sit down, I understand that. It is not disrespectful to God. I'd rather have you stand sit down than to pass out. (laughs) Though that did happen to Paul once. So soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks. He'd been preaching to a crowd and stirred everybody up, and and they have to call in the Roman soldiers to quiet the crowd. Uh, Paul asked the commander. So he's been preaching to this crowd. They're all stirred up. He's bound and shackled, and now he's in control of the Romans. And and so Paul says, "Uh, may I say something to you? And he's speaking to the commander. He says, do you speak Greek? And the commander replies, well, aren't you the Egyptian who started the the revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Okay, capture that, right? The Roman soldiers have showed up and bound Paul in chains, but they've got everybody standing just like you are and quiet because they are Rome and they're in control. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers, fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. They became quiet because Aramaic was sort of the common language of the day. So Paul was speaking to them in a way that said, wait a minute, this guy sounds like us. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up to this city. I studied under Gamaliel and it was thoroughly trained, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. And I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them and their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. 
About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I've heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all Jews living there. He stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now read verse 16 with me. I love this phrase. You ought to underline this in your Bible. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us pray together. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart this place and seek to serve you faithfully. And all God's people said, Amen. We have moved from Nocona, Texas, the leather goods capital of the great southwest in Montague County, population 17,001, to Allen, Texas, in Collin County, and at that time was the most affluent house, uh, county per capita per household income in all of the state of Texas. We were appointed there to start a church, and there hadn't been any land purchased, and we were still waiting to see if we could get the school because... The um, district superintendent and church growth folks had forgotten to actually plan ahead and get confirmation that we could use the school. And so I was working on my doctorate in evangelism. I was appointed to start a church, and I wasn't yet ready. Oh, Paul, are we still going? Can you all hear me okay? Okay. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm a little cynical. Um, I'm wanting to be able to do things that I can't do yet because I don't have a place to go. Uh, we hadn't yet been to the appropriate school to learn how to start churches. And um, I'm working on this doctorate. I, I'm just sort of in a pensive kind of mode. Of just I'm ready to get going. They put me here to start a church. Well, I had nowhere to go. I go to McDonald's. I go fill a gas. I'd had a truck. I'd put a dollar's worth of gas in back then just to say hi to three different people, invite them to church. I went to city council meetings. There were no school board meetings yet. I was just bored out of my mind, just walking the streets trying to find people. And there came a knock on the door. I walked over the door, and the North Texas Conference had purchased a 3,000-square-foot home because they did know it would be both the office and the church and the residence for the pastor and his two children and wife. 
And so um, it had one of those entryways that was two-story at the front, went straight up. And I opened the door, and there was a young boy there, probably third, fourth grade, and an adult figure was out by the mailbox at the curb, and he just simply said, hey, we're from such and such a church, and we're wondering if you found Jesus. And so um, I'm going to confess to you, it wasn't my finest moment. What I did is I did this. I turned around, and there was a tile floor, and I yelled, Hey, honey, have you found Jesus? This kid lost him. And I turned back around, and he went, like nothing in his door-to-door evangelism class trained him for that, right? A cynical Methodist preacher waiting to start a church. And I said, young man, Jesus is not lost. We're the ones who are lost. But if you're asking if I have been found by the one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord, the one who shall reign from above, the one who will save anyone from their sins, that they call upon his name, yes, my son, man, I have been, the whole time he was just backing up. (laughs) I was preaching to him, walking him out to the curb. I got about halfway to the curb, realized that he was a little overwhelmed. I said, look, I'm sorry, I've been appointed to start a church here. Yes, I know, I found Jesus, but... Hey, start with asking the people's names before you just jump in with the Jesus stuff, okay? And go get them for Jesus. And the adult said, okay. (laughs) And I don't know where they went, except next door. What I know is this. I know that when we think about what it means to witness to Christ, that's often the image that we carry. This sense of a confrontation or a combative kind of moment where someone gets in your face or yells at you or uses sort of what we call the spiritual fire insurance to say, Stan, if you don't make it across the street and get hit by a truck on the way, do you know you're going to heaven right now? Right? And there's that sort of intensiveness. And I applaud the sense that there needs to be a very urgent call to the gospel for every person. But friends, I think there is a whole group of people in the world that need to start with a conversation that because of that approach has chased people away. And literally when they hear the word church, they turn the other way and they go. The world needs people to be able to live into what Jesus is and what he calls us to be. So what does it mean to witness boldly? That's what we're going to unpack right now. What it means to witness boldly, first, it means to witness, which is to testify, right? To an event or a fact. And to be bold is to be without fear. So when we talk about witnessing boldly, we're not talking about witnessing offensively. We're talking about witnessing without a fear of what will happen as you simply do what? You share the story. What's the biblical basis? Well, the biblical basis for sharing the good news is that good news was proclaimed by Jesus, and good news was Jesus. He was both. And what does good news mean? In the Greek, good news is eongelion. It's a combination of two words. It means good and message. It's the good message. Friends, what is the good message? The good message is that the kingdom of God has come near and that Christ is a person who will love every person where they are, but won't leave them where he loves them. 
This is the turning point and hinge for the proclamation of the gospel because always accompanying the eongelion of the good news is repent. And the word in Greek, repent, means to turn. Friends, if there is nothing we need to turn from or to turn to, this is an exercise in futility, and Starbucks has got a lot better coffee than we do. But we're here because we believe there's something profound that what the choir is saying isn't just something, an uplifting message. It's a truth that we proclaim that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That at the name of Christ, we find good news. We usually think of evangelism as a program, but it's not. It's a personal attitude. How many people have ever served on the evangelism committee? Right? And we tend in the evangelism committee, we were actually doing this advertising committee. That's what we should have called it. We talk about door hangers and where we are in the newspaper or what publications there are. And what we have failed to do is understand we cannot ask the church to do collectively what we are called to do personally. It's a cultural thing. I don't want to offend anybody. So I'm just going to get real practical with you. You don't have to offend anybody if you want to talk about your faith. All you have to know is two things. You have to know the story, and you have to know your story. You have to know the story, and you have to know your story. Here's what evangelism can look like. Evangelism, I'll tell you what it is not. Evangelism is not looking at the other person and only trying to change them. And this is the mistake that the church has made by approaching it in a programmatic way. That I think I'm supposed to change you. Friends, you don't change anybody. God does the changing, right? So let me tell you what I think the world needs. When we talk about witnessing boldly, witnessing and testifying to this fact we believe of who Christ is, and without fear, the first thing you need to do is you need to establish relationship. You need to establish relationship. I was in the Food for Less in Paris, Texas, and I was walking in with a grocery list, and a woman came across the parking lot, and she had a vial of olive oil or something in her hand, and she just walked right up to me. I was a preacher at the time, okay? She walked right up to me. She said, the Lord told me to anoint you, and she put it on her thumb, and she reached up to my forehead and slathered across on my head and said, the Lord bless you. Okay. And I said, that's not olive oil, is it, ma'am? And she said, well, of course it is. I said, I'm allergic to olive oil. She said, oh. I said, I love, I love your heart. But when you walk up to somebody, why don't you say hello first? Why don't you say hi? This is, this is who I am. Why don't you ask permission to enter into that personal space with someone? And she said, I never thought about that. So think about that. It's not confrontational, it's invitational. Establish a relationship with someone. Do you know the greatest statement that can begin a journey towards being a witness can be this phrase? And repeat this after me so you know you can say it when you leave the church. How can I pray for you? Come on, church. Yeah, it's a question. How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? It's a really simple thing. Establish a relationship. Get to know who the person is. And then just be in relationship with them. The second thing is this. 
Don't invite them to a place, invite them to meet you. A lot of folks are uncomfortable about, well, I don't want to do the whole Jesus thing yet. Okay, guess what? There are no exemptions. You don't get out of this anyway. Evangelism and sharing the good news is a call for all of us. And here's how you do that. Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Kingwood Methodist. You ought to come sometime. That's what it sounds like in one way. But what would it sound like if you were to say, do you have a church home? Are, are, you seeing, are you seeing a pattern in what I think is the world's need for evangelism by us? It's not making statements, it's asking questions. Right? And you can ask, hey, would you like to come to church? Would you like to come to church with me? I'll meet you there. Invite people to the place. Let them experience a community of faith. But develop that affinity. Know the story of the faith. And be prepared with this magnificent question, or this magnificent response to a question. Someone eventually is going to ask you a question, and this is okay to say as a Christ follower, I don't know. Say that after me. I don't know. Because oftentimes, the way that people view church people, and that's what we are, by the way, since we're here, the churchy people, is that we have all the answers, we have it all together, and we just judge others. And if we're going to change that, that's on us. There's a book called The AKA Lost, The People Who Jesus Misses Most. And the thesis of the book is the reason we love to call people lost is it makes them responsible for not knowing who Christ is when that's our responsibility, not theirs. It's a profound thesis, right? relationship, questions, invitation. Do you see a theme? Just get to know people and let God do God's thing. But you got to be prepared for the final step for part of this. You got to know your story. You got to know your story. I remember of a, uh, of a good friend's phrase um, that was in North Texas, a pastor who recalls when he preaches on evangelism that when he was in the third grade, they were out on the playground, and his friend who went to the Baptist church said to him, are you saved? And he said, well, I don't know. I'm a Methodist. <laughs> because the fervor of the Methodist movement in years past had been it's embracing a witness to the gospel by feeding the poor and uh, feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting the poor. We had done that well, but we had lost touch with our heritage of giving language to the faith. And so you've got to know your story. Here's my story, and here's what I want to encourage you this week. Here's your homework. What you're going to need to do this week is you are going to need to write your elevator speech for Jesus. Your elevator speech for Jesus. Here's mine. So I'm someplace and people say they know who I am. Oh, you're a preacher. Yeah. And I'll back it up. I said, but before I was a preacher, I was a Christian. I was raised in a, in a church home all the time. And I went through confirmation. And I knew with my head it was the right decision to say yes to Christ because of confirmation. But between my freshman and sophomore year, I attended an FCA retreat, and I knew with my heart it was right to say yes to Jesus, and I've been saying yes ever since. And that yes eventually led me to say yes to God in answering a call to ministry. And then I'll begin asking questions. And oftentimes, it is the most difficult question 
And do you know what my phrase is when they ask that really, really difficult question that I don't know the answer to? And there's your hint. I say, I don't know. And here's what happens in that moment. When we allow the fact that there is a mystery of who God is that's greater than what we can comprehend in our own human limits, and I say, I admit, this is what I don't know. Do you know what happens with that relationship and that conversation? Does it stop? It goes deeper. In fact, one person even said, well, you can't say that. You're the preacher. I said, I'm human too. I, I don't know. That's a really good question. And then it tumbles into, well, then how can you believe if you don't know? And that's why you need to know the story. Because I listen to the scripture that tells me I walk by faith, not by sight. I think about the practical applications that if I'm outside and the wind is blowing, I say, can you see the wind? Well, yeah, there it is. No, you can't actually see the wind. You see what the wind moves. Hey, tell me exactly how it was that you fell in love. Tell me about that. I mean, can you, can you describe love? No, but you know when you experience it, right? You, you know the story. Here's the text that needs to be on your heart as you know the story and as you know your story. And this week, as you write out your elevator speech, your, your succinct journey of faith. And let me tell you, friends, you need to have, as Methodists, we like to say a lot of Methodists are slow cooker Christians, right? We're crockpot Christians. And it's not wrong. For me, I've never known a time where I wasn't loved by the church. But each of us needs to have a moment in which we made a heart and head decision to say yes to Christ. We all need that. And what I'm asking is, can you define that for yourself in a moment? When you said yes to Jesus. Why do we do this? Listen to what Paul says in Colossians. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And one answer can be, I don't know. And then you can always say, how can I be praying for you? But friends, here's the most important thing. If we are going to expect God to use us in this way, then we must move back to knowing the story and letting ourselves be found by Christ. There is a revival that started 10 days ago at Asbury College. Use whatever you can through social media to figure it out and find it. I believe it's the breath of God breathing into this world today because there's no celebrities, there's no pomp and circumstance, and you know what the leadership is telling everybody? We'll do an interview, but don't show up. And that rippled effect is happening throughout and moving to colleges, and it started with a generation we're told doesn't care about God. Guess what? They do. They're hungering, they're searching, and right now they're leading us as a church to be caught up in God's renewal. And here is the magnificent thing about it. It's not caught up in the fanfare of the extremes. It's at the very core. As students aren't talking about handling snakes, which is biblical, I get it, but I don't like snakes. They're talking about surrendering their lives to Christ, to being realizing they have been forgiven by Christ, experiencing the Holy Spirit who encourages their life. Friends, that is revival. That's when we are revived by the presence of God. So as you think about your own walk with Christ, I woke up this morning early thinking about, um, and, and I'll just tell you, I, I, 
whenever I wake up, I just I say, okay, God, what's for today? And all I can tell you is I believe God places things in our hearts. And I think it's in the morning because that's when my brain's not going yet, right? And I've got the greatest ability to say, so I'll, okay, God, what do I need to know today? And I hear most clearly. And I heard this song and playing in my head from God, come to Jesus. And when I got here, I said, hey, Matt, I know it's a busy day. I know it's uh, 10 minutes after 8 and we're doing a walkthrough, but any chance you could do this in about an hour and a half? <laughs> and Matt said, I know that song. I want you to listen. If you want to get out the phone and look, it's Chris Rice, Come to Jesus. And listen to the words about the rhythm. You're going to hear, Come to Jesus and live. Sing to Jesus and live. Fall on Jesus and live. Cry to Jesus and live. Dance for Jesus and live. And then fly to Jesus and live. Friend, do you know the story? Today, I hope you can say, Yes, I've always been loved by God, but I know I have been redeemed and I have been saved. It's our faith. How often have you and I been in places where if we didn't have our faith in Christ, we wouldn't make it. Friends, I want you to come to Jesus, the only one who will never let go of you the only one who will never forsake you, the one who is, when the psalm says, our refuge and our strength, it is Christ. The one who loved you life by loving you to death, literally on the cross. And if you don't know that in this moment, I, I, I want you to know that uh, I'm not going to greet people out there today. I'm going to stay here today. I, I want to stay in this place and invite, if you would like, just a quiet word of prayer together. Or, or if you'd like just to come and you'd like to kneel on your own in this moment, but I want you to know, have that intimate moment. You may know with your head who Christ is, but be certain you know with your heart you've said yes. It will lead you into places you never imagined you would go, and it will fill your life with a joy that this world can never, ever touch. And it's what we sing every week when we leave. Surely it is who? God who saves me. And I will trust in him and not be afraid. I pray that that is a creed of your life not just a song that you're about to sing as you depart this day. But friends, come to Jesus. And if you don't have that place to grow in your faith and be connected in this community of faith, specifically seek us out. It's hard to grow alone. It is great to grow together. And if you've never made that step of conversion, I'd especially love to talk with you this day.